This podcast contains sensitive topics, including suicide. If you feel like you need to talk to someone about your mental health, there is help available. Don't be afraid to open up to your family or friends. If you're in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. They offer free 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention. For those of you overseas, I encourage you to find out what services are available to you. Cats Out of the Basket, the podcast. My name's Huzzy, and it's good to have you back here. This is the first podcast for 2018, and it's April, so that's kind of weird. But that's how it is. I apologize for the hiatus. I've been away, but now that I'm back in Australia, I'm hoping to get back into it. So my first guest for 2018 is G. How are you going? Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. It's good to have you here. Ah, thanks for having me. No worries. So, how did you first hear about the podcast? Well, uh, I saw a post about it in a university Facebook group and it was asking for people who have had experiences with mental health issues and things of the sort. And I was like, oh, sounds just like me. Sign me up. <laughs> so, I guess I reached out to you to kind of get involved that way. It's been a long process. This has been uh, in the works <laughs> for a while because I keep flaking because <laughs> I'm a terrible person. It's fine. Life is busy, isn't it? Mm. That That's the main reason, really. Yes. Yeah. Rather. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just how it is. But I'm, I'm glad that we finally got the chance to do this because it's mm. been a few months. Yeah. Late on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Not, it's not bad. Better late than never. Though. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. All right. So I guess we can start by doing a question from the mysterious golden chinese question box i can confirm it is mysterious yeah so pick one out see what you get okay here we go did you want me to read it of course okay can you think of any weird coincidences that have happened to you or someone you know that's a good one Mm. well like weird things like, say, for example, my grandpa used to be obsessed with praying mantises, right? Yeah. What's the plural for that praying manti? I don't know. Probably. Yeah, probably something <laughs> along the lines of that. And, um, and so he used to like love them. And, uh, you know, he passed away back in 2000. And when my grandma was um, really, really sick back in 2015, there was a praying mantis that just appeared inside of her hospital room and it was just sitting on the windowsill. And oh, it's wow. like... How does a praying mantis get inside that? So we were all like, oh, my God, it's grandpa. Yep. You know, he's right there. <laughs> and it, and the praying mantis, I nearly said he, he stayed there. Um, the praying mantis stayed there for two more days. And as soon as my grandma passed away, the praying mantis was gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we were all like, oh, my God, that's grandpa. That is <laughs> Grandpa weird. was that? Yeah, right? I like that. Yeah. So I believe in all of that stuff, of course. So, mm. yeah, that's probably the weird coincidence. Yeah, I'm not sure if I believe in like reincarnation stuff, but mm. that makes me want to believe. Right? That's awesome. Right? Oh, yeah. my God. And like there was something similar where one of the nurses, like 
folded these paper cranes. Yeah. So there was like a big one to represent grandma and then four little ones to represent her four daughters. Mm. And when we were packing up grandma's room, you know, no one else had been in there, obviously, like someone had died. Um, and when we were packing it up, we couldn't find the big mum one. Yeah. We could only see the four daughter ones and the big mum one had just disappeared. No and way. no one else had been in there. And we were like, oh my the God. Praying mantis. Maybe the praying mantis took it. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> but we were all just like, oh my God. <laughs> it's on it's on earth. What's going on? So yeah, very weird stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it was the mantis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. we're blaming the praying mantis. Yeah. <laughs> without a doubt. That's an awesome story. <laughs> mm. All right. You want to pick up another right. question? See what we get? Okay. Oh, this one looks like an accordion. I'm going to pick this. Mm. Okay. What TV or movies universe would you like to live in and why? Hmm. I reckon this sounds really weird, but because it's not really a universe, it's more of a sitcom, but I would love to live in How I Met Your Mother where they're, you know, in their early 30s, they're going out drinking every night and, like, it's fine. It's socially acceptable to Mm. be at the pub and to meet your friends at the pub at, like, 10 a.m. Like, that is a pretty cool world to live in where you're just sitting around being like, oh, you know what we should do at 9 a.m.? Let's, You know what? Let's go get a beer because that makes perfect sense. So that would be a pretty cool universe where that would be socially acceptable to just go and have, you know, a Chardonnay Mm. on a Wednesday morning. But, no, apparently that's frowned upon, Mm. so I guess not. I like that answer because it's kind of doable. Like yeah, it's right. It's not like Star Wars. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, I just want to be able to, to drink. I just want to be able to have a drink with my breakfast. Why is that too much to ask? Can I just yeah. not pour like a bottle of Moe into my cereal? Like, why yeah. is that so hard? Mm. Oh, well, not that I'm an alcoholic, but <laughs> I just enjoy champagne. Yeah. <laughs> but how was it? Did you, did you like the finale of that? Show? Look. It could have been better. Yeah, like, I agree. I think we all knew that that was how it was going to revert back, but I think they could have stretched it out over a few episodes instead of doing it all in one, at least. Yeah. I think they owed it to us. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, kind of painful to watch. Yeah, but the rest of it was great. Mm. Oh, I love that show. I feel like watching it now. Yeah, never <laughs> enough times. Never enough times. I've, I've literally probably watched it, like, all the way through. I'm embarrassed to say this number, like, 16 times. That's a good effort. Yeah. Because like every time like you have like a surgery or every time you're sick, you just watch it. It's just so easy. Yeah. Mm. And who doesn't love it? Yeah. Oh, Great show. show. Great show. So let's move into the nitty gritty mm. of the podcast. Yes. But just to ease our way into it, you've already briefly mentioned, but what made you want to open up on the podcast? I guess because I'm in such a good place now and I look back to even, you know, January 2017 where I was just probably at one of my lowest points and I just can't believe how far I've come in a year. And if someone told me that I'd be where I am now back then, I would have said, ah, you're pulling my leg, you know, you can't pull that off, etc." And, uh, you know, but I have. And I want to be able to share that with other people to say, you know, like it's not always going to be this outrageous arduous journey of like 20 years where you're finally feeling okay and finally leaving the house or whatever like sometimes you can actually pick yourself up get yourself you know out in the world and you know it's not easy but like it's doable Mm. um especially like when other people are able to guide you through like how they did it their experiences etc because otherwise you're just feeling really alone so i guess more voices to the cause helps yeah 
if that made sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's it's good of you to to have that realization that I was here mm. way back when, and now I'm here, and mm. you know, it's good to put yourself out there to to help people along as well on mm. their journeys. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously a special topic for me, you know, yep. with my family's history with it, and both with my history with it. Mm. So I'm like, oh, let's just go ahead and help other people if yeah. if someone can get any help from this then i guess it was worth it yeah great well thank you very much again really right. appreciate it yeah. so how did you notice there was something not quite right with you what signs did you see and how old were you when you started seeing things with the eating disorder i actually didn't realize i had one until after the fact like i knew there was something wrong but i was like oh it's probably just my adhd medication like mm making me queasy, not wanting to eat, whatever. Um, and it wasn't until after, so like probably when I was 18, when I started seeing a psychologist for something else and we're talking about eating and I was like, oh no, like I used to just go like five days without eating. And she was like, ah, that's not good. And I was like, oh, like it was fine. Like it's just because of my medication. She's like, no, no, like that's, that's a pretty fair dink of eating disorder there. And I was like, oh no, it's not. You pull on my leg. And I like went home and told my dad and I was like, the psychologist thinks I have an eating disorder. Like, what's up with that? Mm. And he was like, yeah, like your school used to call me and give me updates on your eating habits for the day. And uh, your friends used to like go to the year coordinator with like updates on what you ate for lunch, how much you ate of it, whether you ate it or not. And I was like, what? Like everyone knew I had the eating disorder before I did. And it was, it was, so that was very odd, I guess, in a sense. And with mm. like the depression, anxiety, like that's just a, uh, it was, I can't pinpoint one moment where I was like, oh, that's it. Like it was just a developing thing with my teen angst. So, and then like that snowballed, I guess. Mm. So, um, but yeah, it, it was all relative. Like, I guess the depression and anxiety was when I was going through shitty relationships, yeah. but the eating disorder was kind of just like an ongoing insecurity thing because I was always so tall. And so my, like, I'd look at the scales and I'm like, oh my God, that's so heavy. Like forgetting the fact that I'm like actually just quite a tall person, you know, for people listening, I'm like roughly about 175 centimeters, which, you know, for a girl and, you know, I grew really quickly, you know, I was always in the top row of the school photos and stuff. Um, And so I'd be like, oh my God, that number is much too high. Yeah. Even though I was like a twig back then. So, Mm. yeah. So sort of like teenage years is sort of oh like yeah for sure started. I like I think like I reckon the seed was in my mind with the eating sort of for quite a while. Um, it was always something I was really self conscious about because I was a chubby kid. Like up until year two, I would like waddle around like, and then after that it just like all like stretched out. You know, like mm. as you grow taller, all your baby fat kind of like stretches out with you. Yeah. And suddenly I was like super skinny. And, um, and I think also the whole hitting puberty, growing hips, growing breasts and everything's just suddenly a little bit thicker and you're like, oh my God, this is because of my eating habits and because, you know, I'm getting fat, whatever, instead of just, oh no, I'm actually just like growing into an adult. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I guess that was like another big thing where I was just kind of like really insecure about my eating habits. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, I read that anxiety and mood disorders are very commonly linked with Ooh, uh, yeah. eating Well, because you're always so concerned about what everyone else is thinking of you, yeah. you know, because you're going out in public, you're like, should I be wearing this? Should I be wearing something more conservative so that no one can see like the fat jiggling on my legs or the fact that like when I sit down, like there are little like dips in my, in my thighs because of the cellulite or whatever, mm. like that's just constantly going through your head. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, like I guess because you're just constantly so anxious about everything 
all the time. <laughs> and because not only was I anxious about you know, work, school, relationships, friendships, then suddenly I was also just insecure and anxious about how I looked 24 seven, mm. like to the point where I'd be like lying in bed. I'd be like, I wonder how I look like when I'm sleeping. And then I'd try not to sleep because I thought I was an ugly sleeper. Like it was all rampant. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, and like, I wasn't at the point where I was, so like, I was also really sick generally during high school. And we, we still don't know what it was. Yeah. Uh, my mom thinks it was from anxiety, which could be true now looking back at it, but I just wake up every day and I just vomit like, non-stop and it wasn't like me shoving my fingers down my throat it was just me getting up being like oh my god I'm gonna vomit again mm. and I'd be vomiting from like 7 a.m until like 1 p.m and then I'd go to school for like the last two periods of class and then go home and uh, I like I like everyone now thinks that from anxiety like just general being like oh I'm so nervous to go to school which just totally came out of nowhere because as you can tell I'm not exactly a shy person yeah. and I never really have an issue with friendships and things like that you know those kind of things come more naturally to me and I'm very lucky with that so suddenly this just bowled me over out of nowhere hmm. and so like the vomiting wasn't helping with the fact that I wasn't eating because I had nothing to throw up hmm. it was just like a lot of bile sorry for everyone listening at home that's pretty gross but reality sucks welcome to the real world um <laughs> so yeah it wasn't helping so I was just constant vomiting and then not eating so I didn't have anything to throw up hmm. total disaster yeah so it's <laughs> So it sounds very complicated. It sounds like the the three things were like feeding off each other. Yeah, and almost. then like the fact that like I was always sick, you know, because I was, I would say I was a, I don't like to say I was a good softball player, but like I was good enough to be like in the first right at school and like did like some representative level stuff. Hmm. And I like it got to the point where when I'd exercise, I'd be vomiting like nonstop. Like I'd, I remember I did this massive hit. My friends still never let me live this down. I did this like massive hit in one game, did a home run, but I kept running after I went to home base and just ran straight to the drain and just threw my helmet off and just vomited in front of everyone. Like everyone, like there was like 60 people just like watching me vomit. And I was like, yeah, what's up guys? Yeah. Just mm. don't mind me just puking into the drain. Mm. So, and because then I couldn't exercise anymore and like what, and then I started getting depressed because I couldn't exercise and do my favorite sport, which I'd been doing for years. So it was just all literally feeding off each other. It was just like yep. a disaster waiting to happen. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a really tough time. I mean, it wasn't ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about uh, diagnoses. Mm. So <laughs> I like the plural there. <laughs> thank you. I've done, done my research. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how did... What sort of, what diagnosis did you receive initially? When did you receive it? So uh, I started going to the psychologist midway through 2016 mm. um, because, you know, there was a big family trauma that happened and everyone was like, yeah, you should probably go get checked out. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know what, that's a good point. Mm. And I went and spoke to my psychologist about everything and she said, you have anxiety, you have depression, and you definitely used to have an eating disorder, but I'm not, like, I think you're mostly through that now. And I am. Mm. Um, but it was, again, like, after the fact. So it was those major three things. And then, yeah. And so, but, like, it was things, I knew I had anxiety and depression, but, like, the thing is, because I'd been denying it for so long, I've been letting it get worse and worse and taking it out on people around me. And, um, you know, I feel so, like I look back on my high school boyfriends, I'm like, oh, my God, you poor buggers. Like, that would have been hell because I was just, like, lashing out all the time because I was just like, oh, my God, why do I feel so terrible? It must be everyone around me as well, definitely not my own. So, um, 
yeah, no, so it was definitely midway through 2016 when I was probably diagnosed, but obviously the symptoms came quite a few years before that. Yeah. Mm. At this part of youth, looking back, maybe wish you'd gone to the psychologist earlier. Oh, so much earlier. Like yeah. I wish I like was came out of the womb and just went to, straight to a psychologist. Like it mm. would have made my life so much easier. And just being able to, you know, understand what I was going through and what I was going through was okay. And being able to like try, like learn th- ways to talk myself out of, stressful situations, you know, because I would overthink to the max. Like mm. say for example, like I was that crazy bitch that if your boyfriend didn't reply to you within like four hours, I was like, Oh, he's cheating on me. That's it. That's the only plausible explanation for this. You know, mm. he's a cheating bastard. I've never speaking to him. like I was that proper crazy bitch. And now I look back on that and I'm like, Oh, that's exhausting. Like I pity them. Mm. Um, but now, cause you know, now I know how to cope with it now that I know it exists yeah. and that I can just say, to myself, you know, Georgie, you're being an idiot. Shut up. It's just your anxiety talking. You know, nothing's going wrong. Hmm. So I definitely wish I went earlier. Okay. So putting a label on it sort of helped you. So much. To process mm. what was going on. It just you. made you feel like you had more control of your own life because you knew what was going on. Hmm. While before I was just like, oh my God, everything is hell. Why is this all so terrible? Yeah. And yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so what other benefits did you see after being diagnosed? Um, I guess like a greater, yeah, like a greater confidence came out of it because I knew what I was dealing with and I knew that like, oh, it's not because I'm really shit at everything. It's actually because I have a debilitating mental illness. Well, not just one, multiple, <laughs> lucky mm. me. Um, so yeah, like I, I guess a confidence came out of that because I was like, okay, like I can tackle this, like I can do this. Like now that I know what it is, like I can try and take it on head on. Um, but yeah, just a validation as well of everything I'd been feeling, you know, that I wasn't, well, like I say going crazy, but like, even though I kind of was, um, but like I wasn't alone and no one knew what I was going through because it was actually like a heavily researched and mm. like, you know, a lot of people know how to deal with it. And, you know, it's a lot more understood these days than say if I had it 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does well, that, that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> that's something that keeps coming up with guests I've talked to before, like the just that normalization of, mm. of mental illness. And just like validation, you know, everything yeah. I'm going through is okay. And then like it's clearly, you know, like it's depression, it's anxiety, it's knee disorder. And like these are actual medical conditions. You're not just sitting there like eating away at yourself. Mm. <laughs> like that was a bad terminology to use this, but okay we're gonna move forward <laughs> it's just ironic yeah. terminology yeah no that's cool so you know i guess like you doing this podcast better late than never yeah than going to see a psychologist yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you got there eventually mm, it's true so what did you find easier after getting diagnosed easier Probably explaining what I was going through to mm. people, you know, say, because I was in a relationship when I was diagnosed yeah. um, and being able to say, you know, I'm feeling like really anxious at the moment and being able to like, I feel validated enough to use that terminology. You know, I'm having a really bad day with my depression. I'm having a really bad day with my anxiety mm. and being up and then, and then suddenly everyone understood the like severity of what I was feeling yeah. and they'd be like, oh, okay, like no worries. How can I help? Like, how can I make this a bit easier for you? Cause everyone, most people were really good with it. Mm. And so it was just really a lot easier to be able to cope with it. Cause then people would say, how can I make you feel less anxious? How can we make this less stressful for you? So those kind of things. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And 
what was harder, if anything, after getting diagnosed? Mm, I'm not like obviously there were other factors, like a lot of other shit things happened after I got diagnosed, which was just bad timing. Yeah. Um, but I guess like it feels like like it felt like something I could ignore before, like try and ignore, like even though I literally couldn't, it mm. felt like something I could be like, oh, but like at least I don't have depression or anxiety, like that would suck. And now we're like, ah, oh, fuck. Mm. <laughs> so it was something I couldn't escape because it was in my head and it wasn't going anywhere unless I tried to kick its ass. Mm. And obviously like it's still there, but there are ways of dealing with it. So I guess it like got, mm, I don't know. It's a very interesting question. <laughs> um, but yeah, like knowing what I had to be, especially the stigma around it. Cause you know, I was one of those, like I said, like emo Tumblr kids. And I'd look at everyone like romanticizing depression and shit online. And I'd be like, oh my God, that looks fucking terrible. Like at least I don't have that. And then suddenly I was like, yeah. ah, fuck yeah. No, I actually do have that. Yeah. And this is shit. And like, if all of these people online can't beat it, why would I? Mm. Now I'm like, ha fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I can do it. Yeah. So, and like everyone else can as well. Yeah. Which is cool. So it's kind of like the label. like The label, know, yeah. The label. Both validating but also intimidating, I suppose. Yeah. Because it felt like, oh, this isn't just a phase. This is like a genuine mental illness that you're probably going to be dealing with for the rest of your life. Mm. <gasps> Whoa, I was keen. But yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, it has its benefits, has its drawbacks, mm, I suppose. For sure. Yeah. This is a question that I ask to a lot of people. Mm. Our last few guests have talked about anxiety and depression specifically. So I want to ask you this in the context of eating disorder. Yes, it. So how do you think eating disorders are perceived by people in society? Everyone just assumes that they're like unhealthily skinny people, like, like a lot of like ballerina stigma as well which is just wild everyone was like like i'd say to people oh, i had an eating sort of like oh were you a dancer i'm like no like <laughs> i was the opposite like i was a softball player like come on yeah. um like there was like a lot of stigma around it because like once people because like obviously well it was it's really difficult for me because i never had to deal with that that much because by the time i knew i had an eating disorder it was mostly done mm. um so i didn't have to deal with you know going to school and people being like oh that's the girl disorder um but like i know one of my friends she had anorexia like diagnosed anorexia like it was like her mum had to go in every day to feed her mm. um because otherwise she wouldn't eat like she'd be on a drip and stuff sometimes in class like it was pretty bad like well obviously very bad and um you know we'd meet up with people from outside of school like from my primary school because this girl went to my primary school and you'd be like and people would say oh you know where's She's like, oh you mean the girl with anorexia and it's like no i just meant like I didn't, I didn't want to talk about her anorexia like at all. You know, people just immediately associate you with what illnesses they know you have. Mm. And that was particularly bad with the eating disorders, I guess, because everyone, or for people who don't understand it, they're just like, why aren't you eating? Like, why don't you want to eat? Food is amazing. Like, as if you don't mm. look at pasta and you're like, get in my belly. Like, yeah. that's like what people literally said to me after, like, I found out that I had one. They were like, how can you not just not want to eat? And I'm like, oh, great question. Mm. Would love to know the answer. Like, <laughs> if I knew the answer, we wouldn't have been in that predicament, would we? <laughs> like, yeah. So I guess people just don't understand the relationship with food aspect of eating disorders because everyone's all... You know, our life revolves around food. You know, we eat mm. during the day. If we don't eat, we get grumpy. You know, everything depends on food. Mm. And so people just get really confused when some, sometimes someone's like, actually, like, 
I don't like food and yeah. I don't want to be eating. Mm. So, yeah. So I guess there's that definite negative stigma about it because everyone just doesn't get how someone doesn't want to eat. And, um, yeah, so that was pretty shit, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I think some of the things coming up there is uh, firstly stereotypes. Mm. Then, again, labels. Yeah. Like people just... Just had an automatic association. Yeah. Like, she's like, she's not this person. She is just in quotation marks. Mm. Um, so, yeah, all very odd. <laughs> mm. So just a general misunderstanding. Yeah, there. people just don't get it. People don't understand what it's like to, like, wake up every day, look in the mirror and be like, like some people are like, oh, my God, like, I'm so insecure. I think I have an eating disorder or whatever. And they throw it around like it's something so relaxed and so chill. Mm. And, um, yeah, like it's, it's not like it's when you can't even look in the mirror without crying, mm. you know, like that. And I thought that, hey, you know, I'm just a teenage girl. This is normal. Yeah. Not normal. <laughs> yeah. Not normal. <laughs> so I think one of the reasons I think with all mental illness and like some specifically is mm. that, that people aren't talking about it. And like mm. the fact that it's like a taboo to talk about specific mental illnesses. Mm. I think eating disorders is definitely one. Well, like, the th- yeah, like the, the thing is like a lot of people suffer from depression and anxiety. So it's a lot better documented yeah. and, you know, we have, are you okay day and things like that. Um, and so I think, but there's not like a, you know, happy eating disorder day or whatever. Mm. Um, because people feel really uncomfortable talking about it. Cause this is people like not eating and not eating like on purpose. Yeah. Like they're not unable to access food. They have food accessible, mm. but they don't want it and they can't, they like it repulses them. The thought of eating it. Mm. So that's for people really uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. Well, even though depression and anxiety sucks to talk about, everyone's like, Oh, but we cut to because like people are dying from this. I'm like, well, people are dying from eating disorders as well. Mm. Um, obviously like they're a lot less common. Um, but, you know, it's happening and it's a mental illness and shouldn't be thrown around the way people do. But I guess it's something that, you know, depression, we wouldn't have thought that we had the progress socially the way we do now, the way people talk about it. Um, and, you know, we have that whole like, not necessarily like coming out culture, but like say like with the Me Too movement, hmm. um, people feel like a lot more comfortable talking about taboo sub- subjects, you know, sexual assault and things like that. Hmm. Um so I think, you know, there's a better culture now about talking about when you're not okay. Yeah. Um, you know, like I saw a Facebook status last night that says, you know, I've just been diagnosed with depression and going through a really rough patch. If anyone's like available to like hang out with me in the next couple of weeks, that'd be great. Mm. You can just come over and just sit there and watch TV with me. I just, you know, don't want to be alone right now. And I was thinking, you know, like that would never, well, first of all, like obviously Facebook wasn't around yeah. like 20 years ago, but like that would have never happened. People wouldn't have just said, hey, I'm actually feeling really shit. Do you mind coming over and just hanging out with me? You know, like my cousin did that when I was going through my uh, little moment, so to speak, in January 2017. Mm. She just came over, like, I sat there just, like, crying and then, like, vomiting from how hard I was crying. Mm. She just sat there, like, she didn't leave. She just sat there, watched How I Met Your Mother with me and um, was just there and just having someone there. Like, it's crazy. Like, it was so nice. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I think there's, like, a definite stigma around eating disorders compared to others. But I think over time... I think it's a time thing, you know, we'll get there. Just like we got there, getting there with depression and anxiety, eating sort of will come along the way as well. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, what I what I think comes up there is sort of uh, a diff, like just a, just 
difficulty with empathizing with yeah. eating disorder. Well, yeah, because like it's not something because people don't wake up today and think, oh my god, I'm not going to eat today because of this. Like, yeah. but people will wake up and be like, oh, I'm actually having a really bad day today. Like, I'm actually feeling really down, really depressed, mm. or really anxious, or really stressed. So people can kind of like relate to those emotions a bit more, mm. and then like imagine like putting themselves on people's shoes who experience it twenty four seven. Um, while people don't wake up every day and they're like, oh, you know what I want to do? Not eat. <laughs> like, mm. that's just not a thing. So it's harder to empathize, yeah. Mm. But there is a general elevation in, in mental illness. Like I said, mm. I think I said in one of the previous episodes, it's sort of like a movement that uh, just globally as a society, we're sort of understanding and we're more okay with talking about this. I definitely stuff. think it's like a Western society thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, at the moment, Western society has been catching up and I think it's something we really need to work on, like on a global scale, mm. which is just a massive project and I don't know how I would do that. But, you know, I think it's important to remember that, you know, there are people who don't have the access to the resources that we do who are going through the exact same shit mm. and uh, don't have the opportunity to speak to a psychologist or get medication or speak on a podcast and explore and tell the world all your feelings under an anonymous name. Um, yeah, so, yeah. That was a random tangent, but we're going to go with it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really receive a treatment for for your eating disorder, mm. did you? Not for the eating disorder, because it was done. It was done. Yeah. So what, what sort of treatment did you receive for anxiety and depression? Just like a lot of ways to like cope with things. And like I also, I had like a random little OCD thing where I couldn't have things on my hands. Like it was very wild. So I was doing that at the same time. Um, and like, but like when I was depressed, I had to like write down like a survey of how I was feeling, what triggered it, what didn't trigger it. It was just like, a, uh, I randomly want to die. Mm. Um, and like take it in every week. Cause I was seeing the psychologist every week. Um, and uh, yeah. And so I think it was basically like talking about it and then talking about ways to deal with it and say, oh, well, this is actually, you can like try and get through this with this and you can try and like, this is how you can relax your brain with this and like all the science shit, which I didn't understand. I just did whatever she told me to do, mm. which was like, you know, like, and people say breathing exercise is the bullshit, but like it, getting that oxygen to your brain, like it helped me a lot, mm. made me like think a lot clearer. And, but it was also, she gave me a lot of information, which I could give to the people around me. You know, I had pamphlets, so, you know, I'd come home every day with new information. Hey, mom, here you go, you know, have a read. Mm. And um, to my boyfriend at the time as well. So, and you know, they would come in sometimes to the psychologist and see how they can better help me as well. So I was really lucky that I had such supportive people around me. Mm. Um, but yeah, treatment, like I tried antidepressants in January 2017. Mm. And I think we've all gotten a hint at how that went. Those ones, they said to me, they can either work really well or not so well. They did not work very well on me. Um, it was, yeah, really bad. Like it made, it put me in the worst place I've ever been in. Mm. Like I was genuinely, like I was in a really scary place. That's when my cousin had to come over and just sit down with me because my parents were away. I was home alone. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> how do I deal with this? Um, and when you're in that kind of place and when it's like medically induced in a sense, breathing exercises don't do shit, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but, you know, like, and it was at that point where I was like sitting there crying on the bathroom floor. I, I couldn't breathe and I was just there on my own. And I was just like, I don't know how to come back from this. I don't think I can. Like, I don't see an end to this kind of pain because it was at the point where I was feeling so depressed that I 
like obviously I was like physically sick like I was just vomiting because I couldn't stop crying and because I felt this weight on my chest it felt like there was like a 180 kilo person just standing on top of me mm. and um I was like I don't know how I can get out of this so I guess antidepressants are weren't my thing mm. um yeah so that was we, tr- we tried treatment and oh no good no good <laughs> but you know they work for some people mm. and I definitely think it's a path people should explore but I think they should explore at a very specific time when you're surrounded by people who love you and care about you mm. for an extended period of time because I don't think it's something you should trial when you could be on your own for quite a big chunk like say for example if you live out of home and you want to try antidepressants I suggest having someone move in for a bit with you going home for a bit you know like it's not something you should be going through on your own treatment wise mm. yeah no good (laughs) no good well that's that's an interesting point to make the fact that uh you know that medication doesn't work for everyone not for everyone did they did they try to tweak the the dosages well like after that i was like nah fuck this (laughs) and i was like i'm never taking antidepressants again there could have been an antidepressant that worked for me but i was just kind of like okay i'm gonna tackle this i'm gonna deal with it you know like i was depressed in bed for a week after that and then i was like like I, I just went to one event, which took me down a totally different path. Mm. And, you know, I was just so distracted by how busy I was that I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, I have depression. Right? I forgot about that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, antidepressants work for people and I do suggest trying it, but like just in controlled environments because you don't want to be like, oh, like I'll be fine. What's the worst medication you can do? Mm. It can fuck you up. Mm. <laughs> So you definitely had more of a therapy focus. Yeah, therapy focus treatment. and also just like in general, great support system. Yeah. Really great support system because, you know, um, but yeah, like, so basically my family was really good with it because I lost my uncle to suicide, mm. as I mentioned to you the other day, um, in the middle of 2016, which is why I started going to mm. see a psychologist because I was like, oh my God, my uncle just killed himself. Mm. And it was a total shock. Didn't even know he had depression. And so my family is really open about it. So my dad got depression because, you know, his brother had just killed himself. And, you know, so my family was really good with it because they knew how important it was to speak about and to get help and to help other people, especially when they're family. Mm. Um, so I was really lucky in that way. Not lucky that my uncle committed suicide, but lucky because my family was so supportive. Mm. Well, I guess that leads me into my next question. Did you yourself experience suicidal thoughts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That uh, bathroom floor moment was not my peak. Let's just put it that way. Mm. I was sitting there and I was just thinking about ways like how can I, how can I stop this? Like how can I make this pain go away for a long period of time? And I was just thinking, oh, well, I mean, it's pretty solid answer to that would be death, I guess. And then then, like my cousin came over and was like, oh, yeah, fucking nah, actually. Mm. I was like, oh, good point. Actually, yeah. Um, I guess the suicidal thoughts, they lasted like for few days and then I think it just took me like I just it's so fucked up but like I just brought myself to look at my uncle's Facebook page Mm. and feel that pain like I look at photos of him and I'm like and I think about the way like the note he left and the way he was found and like I think about how that haunts me daily and how that haunts my family and my how it haunted my grandparents and my cousins you know like having to sit there with your youngest cousin and just be like what the fuck like like our uncle just did that like mm. and like I don't blame him at all and I don't think it was selfish you know he was clearly like it was going he was going through some fucked up stuff but just like thinking okay well if that's how I feel about my uncle imagine how you know my mum would feel imagine how 
um, my dad would feel. Imagine how my dog would feel. Like, what would she do? Like, mm. I, like I just wouldn't be there anymore. She wouldn't understand why. Like, I th- thought about that more than I'd like to admit. You know, what would my dog think? Um, but yeah, so I guess that's what pulled me out of it. Thinking, I, like, they've been through enough. Yeah, just I'm, seeing the impact that they. Yeah, and like it's fucked up that that's what had to be the thing that brought me out of it. But one of those things where I know how much it just shattered us emotionally you know like the family unit's strong like we're, we're, we're okay as a family but like just shattered us individually mm. and uh, i was like okay well i can't like, do that to anyone so let's fucking fix this mm. so yeah well, it's, it's uh yeah it's, it's a shame and i'm really sorry that you and your family went through that but oh, there's, okay. there's definitely lessons to be learned from that for <sighs> yes definitely i wish i'd learned them a different way but uh mm. lessons were learned <laughs> okay so um how are you dealing with your disorders now and how is it different to when you first started to manage them Hmm. well now i don't even really like notice them like i well it's like really hard to explain like so like i said like after that moment in january last year i got really involved in like a political party Mm. and just threw myself into it because I've always been a very political person. Um, and I just got really into it. And suddenly, like, every night I had something to do. Every second of the day I had someone to talk to and all, like, really progressive political minds and people that stimulated my brain. Like, instead of me just sitting there numbing my brain watching How I Met Your Mother, trying to just numb whatever I was feeling, I was actually going out and I was having these really intense policy debates and, like, it just totally like brought me out of everything. And like that has still consumes my life to this day, I guess, mm. as you know, because I just came from a political thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I guess how I'm dealing with it is like, I, I'm too busy to notice. And it was one, like it, I just found my passion at a really good time. Mm. And like that, they get this passion has like saved me like clearly. Um, but like, it took a lot of work. Like it took a lot of, thinking and you know like say for example like I was saying before you know I was a psycho bitch when I was dating like all my ex-boyfriends and then like you know like I'd try seeing someone like last year and like I went not as hardcore psycho bitch but I was still a bit of a psycho bitch and it was one of those things where I pulled back and I had to like reflect and be like okay like I'm still not ready for this like I still need to keep finding myself keep discovering what I'm good at keep you know figuring out how to be in a relationship without going the full crazy bitch um excuse my gendered language um but yeah so i guess i thought i was like oh my god cured and then like that happened and i was like oh never mind <laughs> um you know i've still got a way to go and i think it just took a lot of me feeling more comfortable with who i am what i do how i contribute to the world because before i just felt like i was floating through mm. and i wasn't really having an impact but now i'm like oh i'm having these really important conversations and doing these really this really important work and i feel like i'm contributing to society and i feel valued and there's so much i actually want to do mm. and i guess like my ridiculous outrageous amount of ambition really helped me being like oh well, like, like i can't die now mm. I just, I, I still haven't created so many policies. Like there's just so much for me to do. So I guess, yeah, my, like I just, I don't even notice it now. Like I haven't had an anxiety attack since January last year mm. because I simply like I haven't had the time. 
because I don't have time to sit there and overthink things, you know. Instead, I just have to be decisive, make decisions and and make conversations and whatever. So I don't really, like, when you say, like, how do you, like, deal with it? How do you cope with it now? You know, the eating sort of non-existent. And in fact, I'm like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> I, I love food a little bit too much now, I might say. Mm. Um and I think there's still remnants of that in the back of my head when, like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, like, I've gained a lot of weight, but I'm also kind of like, oh, but, like, I'm I'm healthy, like, I'm exercising and, like, I'm living my best life and all of that stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, I guess there's still remnants of that being like, oh, my God, you fat bitch, <laughs> like, in the back of my head. And I'm like, no, shut up. Hmm. So it's like a little internal monologue. But, like, the depression, like, like I, I have my bad days, but everyone does. Hmm. And I don't have the choice now, like, with work and with uni, I don't have the choice to stay in bed anymore. I have to get the fuck up. <laughs> so I guess that's how I deal with it now because I don't have a choice. Yeah. I mean, I can't sit around and just thinking, God, I'm so depressed. Oh my God, I'm so anxious. Oh my God, you know, I feel this way about my appearance. Like I don't have time, which mm. is cool. I like that. Mm. So it's not having time and also having a purpose in society. Yeah, like I guess life. like finding my way a little bit. Like a lot yeah. of, I find in my personal experience, a lot of the getting over the depression, getting over the anxiety, eating soda, you name it, um, is finding your purpose, finding who you are. Because, you know, you go through high school and you're like, oh, this is who I am. Like I have a very good understanding of who I am. But you are lost. You are a teenager and that's okay. That's mm. okay to not know where you're going. And mm. it's okay to not know who you are, where you want to go, whatever. Um, but, you know, like particularly for young women, you know, I read this article one time and it said that instead of getting into relationships, young women should be focusing on their careers, focusing on what they want to do with their life. Mm. So you have plenty of time for relationships when you're older and like you can focus on that shit when you're mid twenties, but you need to set yourself up now and not go chasing after men who, let's be honest, I got it not to stereotype, but uh, men can be pretty shit in like late teens, early twenties. Um, and they're not going to want anything serious. And if you don't want anything serious and fucking go for it, you know, go mm. for your life. But if you're like, you're going to put yourself through more pain than pleasure. If like, people are exposing themselves to those things, especially cause you're still finding yourself, you're still not sure about who you are. And then suddenly you start feeling like a crazy bitch because you don't know who you are yet. You don't know where you're going. So mm. I like my biggest tip for, especially for women is to just focus on yourself. Don't try and get into a relationship, literally just focus on you your career, your degree or whatever the hell you want to do mm. because that's like what's going to help you more than anything, feeling like you know who you are, yeah. you know what you want and you know what you can achieve. Yeah, I think that goes for anyone there. I think mm. like a lot of people see relationships as a quick fix to happiness. Like they, oh, there's God, that, no. I think society has <laughs> sort of like said if you want to be happy, you got to be in a couple. Yeah. And like true. you see, like all the couples walking down the street and you see all those stock images and it's like, look at them. They're happy together. Even when they're eating salads, like mm. of course, ha- like relationships must be the cure for happiness. If they're happy together while eating a salad, like, like it was just like one of those things you just grow up with. And because my parents have such a happy relationship, like mm. my, they met when my mom was 15 and they've been together ever since. And she's now 53. Mm. Like that is an insane amount of time Mm. and they are so happy. Like they're just still so in love. And I was like, well, maybe my first love will be the same. And I was like, okay, maybe the next one. Oh, oh, okay. Maybe, maybe the next one. Oh, oh, this isn't, oh, this isn't going too well. (laughs) So yeah, my biggest, my biggest thing would be like, just slow down, slow down, take it as it comes and look after your future first because you know, you don't have to do everything Mm. straight away. Yeah. Could just relax, have a good time, live your life. <laughs> mm, that's good. 
So what what would you do differently, if anything? Mm. Well, obviously I would go and get diagnosed earlier <laughs> and uh, learn how to deal with things earlier. I wouldn't say I wouldn't have gotten into the relationships because like, I can't change that. Mm. But they were pretty shit. <laughs> the guys, uh, three out of four, uh, two out of four of them were good guys <laughs> and uh, they, they truly did have the best intentions. Mm. Um, the other two were... I'm not going to lie, dickheads. Um, mm. So, like, I probably would have avoided those last two. I guess I learned a lot from them um, and what I deserve as well. It's all about self-worth. And, mm. and, like, this sounds like something out of a shit self-help book that you find on, at your fucking GP's waiting room. But um, it's all about, like, knowing what you deserve. Mm. And uh, I thought I deserved to be cheated on. I thought I deserved to be, you know, have someone, like, choosing to, like, sell cocaine over, like, a a healthy relationship and I was like oh well I probably did something to deserve that mm. and I look back and I'm like no nah, no I didn't and um so I guess I wouldn't have gotten into those because they definitely helped deteriorate my self-worth and what I thought I deserved mm. so I guess yeah I'd give those a hard pass mm. <laughs> so in turn just learning to to value value yourself value yourself more. and like it recognize your worth in other people's lives as well. Like if someone else isn't recognizing that and like how much you, how much effort you put into things, then fuck them. Not literally, definitely (laughs) metaphorically. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone with uh, the same or similar diagnosis who might be listening to this and having a difficult time right now? Mm, Stick it out. Like it's shit right now. And it, like for a lot of people, it's shit right now. And you're thinking, there's no way I can get out of this. You know, I don't have some career path that I want to follow. I don't have some passion that I want to follow. Like I'm just existing. Mm. And like what I'd say to them is, yeah, like you're existing now, but like shit, like what if you realize that you are just so fucking passionate about penguins and there was so much you could learn about penguins and you and you could, didn't think you could ever find a passion, but you found that, you know, like something fucking random. Penguins was a really random choice. I don't know why I picked it, but why not? yeah, like fucking who doesn't <laughs> love penguins? Um, there is going to be, it's, like, it's not easy and it's not easy to get over those kind of emotions because like, they're very intense and all consuming, but when you find your passion and you find your worth and you find the people that just get you, you know, like I don't talk, I talk to one person from school. I've been out of school three years. I talked to one person from school because the rest of it, I just, I thought I clicked with them. I thought I'd be friends with them forever. And, you know, I ran into someone the other day and I fucking forgot their name. I only fucking finished school three years ago. Um, But they just didn't add anything to my life other than drama. And I was like, okay, well, I actually need to just, make a call and say is it actually worth saving these kind of friendships Mm. so like it's also really important to like evaluate your connections with the people around you and think what is this actually bringing to me like is this having a positive impact on my life or is this making my life more difficult Mm. and that's when you need to say okay well if it's making my life more difficult then you you gotta go like Mm. whether that's immediate whether that's gradual you gotta go Mm. um so yeah i guess it's just kind of like before you start like like say like if someone's suicidal right now and they're listening to this, it can get so much better. Like I can't believe where I am now. Like mm. I thought, you know, politics was always something that seemed like a, like it, it was just never achievable for me. I was just like, I don't know how I'd get involved mm. with the party and whatever. And like now 
I've done so much more than I could have ever imagined in a year, you know, mm. and like being able to like just be a part of something so much bigger than myself, you know, and other people will find that too, mm. whether that's in science or engineering or maths, God forbid, you know, or teaching, you know, someone found passion for teaching, you know, there are so many things and people need to realize that, especially at a, such a young age, you know, like I'm 20, I'm not going to, like a lot of people don't know what they want to do for the rest of their life when they're 20 and that's mm. okay. But you got to realize that you're going to find it. Mm. And whether that's in six months, whether it's six years or whether it's in bloody like 30, you got to find it. Mm. And it's all about trying to look forward to the future and say, okay, well, how can I help myself here? Yeah. Which isn't easy because like, again, depression, anxiety, it's just all consuming. It's with you 24 seven. You go for a walk. It's there. You go to bed. It's there. You're watching TV. It's there. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's all about trying to understand yourself better because once you understand, A, you know, like what triggers it, you know, like if, because like say for example, I'm never late to anything. Like I told you I was going to be at 5.15 and I was here at 5.12. Like I just, I have to be early to everything. Even if it's by three minutes, it's just like a personal vendetta against myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know that being late makes me anxious, so I don't do it. Yeah. And I don't get let myself be put in situations where that could happen. Mm. Um, so it's all about understanding what upsets you, what triggers things. And sometimes there won't be a trigger and that's okay. Mm. But you got to find what makes you happy and what can bring you out of that. And it's also really important that people are open with mm. the people around them. You know, you might not feel comfortable with the people you have around you at the moment. If you don't, find some people that you do. Mm. Because it's so important to have that support group. Mm. I think that's my biggest advice. Just you will only, you can only get better when you have the right people around you from my experience. Like if I didn't have anyone to talk to about, I'd be fucked. (laughs) Mm. So, and it's, and because, you know, so many people have it now and it's much more diagnosed and much more understood. So yeah, it's just really important to talk about it. Mm. That's a lot of great advice there. So thanks for sharing that. That was just such a fucking tangent. My apologies. That's fine. (laughs) There was a lot of good stuff in there. (laughs) So so. um, what do you wish someone had told you in your most difficult periods? Mm, that's a that's a that's a tricky one. Just one thing that comes to mind. One thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Like just literally, you'll be fine. Um, it fucking sucks, right? It it hurts like all hell and mm. impacts every aspect of your life. But you know, it's not always going to be as shit as it is right now. Mm. And I wish someone had said that to me. You know right now fucking sucks and you can't see an end to it but there is you know there are so many examples just walking around the streets you know there are so many people who've gone through what i was going through and it gotten better and uh, you can do that too that's what i wish someone had said to me you know this person did it this person this person did it why do you think you can't why do you think you can't overcome this because i was sitting there being like i'm just you know i'm just me Mm. i'm just me like how could I do that? That seems quite exhausting to be quite honest with you. And um, mm. I wish someone had said, nah, like you could do it. Just got to give it time, mm. give it a hell of a lot of effort and just surround yourself with the right people and you'll be okay. Yeah. Because I feel like at the time I was just like, oh my God, no one understands what I'm going through. I'm the only person in the world with depression. Like no one else could possibly be, have ever felt as terrible as I do right now. Um, which now I know is a fucking lie. Um, so, yeah, that's what I definitely wish someone told me. You know, you can do it. Everyone else, you know, a lot of other people have. You can do it as well. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, that brings us to the listener questions. Mm-hmm. So the first one is from Elle from Adelaide. And she wants to know, do you think there are any good parts about having anxiety? And she <laughs> says that because she feels that her anxiety makes her very hard working. Mm, I 100% relate to that. Yeah. Um, so because unfortunately I have the combo with ADHD, which is just a fucking shitstorm because, you know, like say, for example, if I have something due, not only am I struggling to get it done, I'm fucking anxious about it not getting done. Mm. So I 100% agree that the positive thing that came out of my anxiety is the fact that I have never, ever handed anything in late in my entire life. I've never Mm. lost marks for a late penalty. I've never not finished an exam. Everything's always been done. And because I'm so, like, nervous and time conscious because of my anxiety because I hate handing things in late, being late just in general. Mm. Um, So, yeah, like, I guess that was a perk of my anxiety. You know, the rest of it, fuck, it sucked. Mm. (laughs) But, yeah, like, I guess I was a lot more productive. I was a lot quicker with everything and but like the downfall of that was I wasn't as um I wasn't as precautious as I should have been with a lot of my work <laughs> like I just getting it, getting it in yeah. like I can't remember the last time I proofread anything like mm. I'm in third year uni so that's not a great <laughs> it's not a great thing but yeah I don't think I've proofread anything at uni mm. everything's too long I'm like yeah fuck it she'll be right mm. um but yeah I guess that was a positive thing that I was constantly anxious about not getting something in on time Hmm. and also constantly anxious what other people thought of me you know I guess like other than right now where I genuinely look like I've slept outside for like 28 days um like I also am always really anxious about the way people look at me and like and like I guess that comes from the eating disorder as well so I usually you know present myself really well and Hmm. I don't like to look like I haven't made effort like I always like to make an effort so I guess that was another positive because I'm always just like ah, what's everyone thinking? (laughs) So I guess uh, just the pedantic nature of anxiety has its pros and cons, more cons than pros, but pros nonetheless. (laughs) It's good that there's something there. So uh, the next one is from Vicky from Sydney and she wants to know, taking your mental health into consideration, if you had the power to change the person you are today, would you? No. I'm I'm pretty fucking happy with how I am, you know, and it sounds so self-absorbed, but, you know, I'm doing some pretty cool stuff. I'm doing things that I'm passionate about and it's just like I found my muse and I I wouldn't change – I'd change – there's one thing I would change is my ability to keep my room tidy. Like that's just fucked. Like Mm. it is atrocious. Like like my aunt – pitied me last weekend and came in and cleaned it like that's how bad it was that's the one thing i changed about myself my inability to keep something fucking clean and my inability to use excel even though i do a research degree those are the two things i changed about myself Mm. nothing related to my mental health you know i went through that shit and it fucking sucked and Mm. it was terrible but like you know here i am talking to other people telling them how i got through it and how i'm okay now i've I've never been fucking better Mm. and they can do that as well so i guess i feel yeah, I feel really lucky I, and I wouldn't change it for the world, you know. Yeah, like it was shit, but I'm someone who always wants to use shit things hmm. for good, I guess. And like I had a really weird mentality about it as well. Like just in general, like sick, my, when I was like really sick in high school and then like the mental illness as well, I was just like, well, thank God this is happening 
to me and I'm like someone who's strong enough to deal with this stuff because somehow I convinced myself that there's only a certain amount of mental health issues in the world mm. and then I like allocated to people I don't know like it was fucked it was just my way of dealing with it and I was like oh well I've taken up this portion which means someone else isn't doing it which is okay because I can handle this mm. <laughs> so it definitely made me a stronger person and I felt like grateful that I had it and someone else that might not have been able to handle it didn't have it mm. I don't know it's really fucked but yeah I guess I wouldn't change anything mental health wise for the world. Yeah. Mm. Cool. And the last listener question is from Harriet from Adelaide. And she wants to know, how did you keep motivated to recover from your eating disorder on the days you wanted nothing more but to give up? Yeah. Well, again, I guess it was really different for me because I didn't know I had it. Mm. So I was battling this demon without even realizing it. Mm. And for me, the motivation was like the people around me, like I could see it on their face. Even though I didn't click at the time, I could see it on their face how upset it made them mm. when I wasn't eating. And I knew, you know, like, yeah, like I, I, it was just this weird like out-of-body experience, so to speak, like where I would look at myself and be like, okay, like, yeah, this fucking sucks and this is all terrible and I feel like I can't escape it and it's all-consuming. But you know like there are people who have done it before there are people who have kicked eating disorders ass and they've won and they're healthy they're happy they're having kids they're having families they're you know traveling all over the world and i was just like it would be pretty fucked if i didn't give myself that opportunity hmm. you know it would be pretty fucked if today i said i'm not gonna eat today just because i feel like shit like instead of just being like okay you know i've got a job to do you've got to think of it like a to-do list kind of thing okay today i'm gonna eat this this and this and i'm gonna do this exercise and then I'm going to do this. Like you're just going to make a to-do list every day of like how you're going to just plan everything out because then you feel like committed to sticking to that plan. Right. Mm. And you don't want to like let other people down. Like once you start involving other people and then you're like, okay, well I don't want to let these people down. So I got to eat breakfast. I got to eat lunch. I got to eat dinner. Even if they're small, I just got to, I got to eat it. I got to keep it down. I got to go to bed and tomorrow I'm going to repeat it and just keep going, going, going until you get into a habit. And then you start realizing that it's okay. Like everything's okay. You, you're eating, but yeah, you're still alive and like you're eating and you're not, you know, unhealthily overweight. Like you're okay. Eating mm. is okay. And I got at the time it just feels like, Oh, like when will I ever see myself in a light different than this? Like when will I ever look at myself and be like, okay, like I have no problem leaving the house or okay. Yeah. Like let's go and have that fucking insane heart attack inducing burger because why the fuck not? You know, mm. I'm a young adult. Let's just go out and do some dumb shit. Um, you gotta just, yeah. Like you just gotta realize that also there's a whole life out there that you're not living. Mm. Um, when you're trapped inside your mental health issues, like that, I just, I can't, I, I can't imagine how much I've missed. And it's one of those things where the to-do list really just says, okay, well, you're going to get into this habit and you don't want to fucking do it, but you got to, because you might think, oh, like today I don't really feel like eating, but you got to fucking do it mm. because it is a mountain that you have to move to try and cure yourself. Um, yes. Um, and it's not fucking easy, but you can do it. I mm. did it. A lot of other people have done it. Most people who have eating disorders do it. Mm. They usually get better. And, uh, like, who are you to think that you're not going to be one of them? Mm. You know, you've just got to be strong even when you don't feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. 
don't know, eating disorders are fucked. <laughs> mm. no, that's some good insight there. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks to the listeners for sending those questions in. Yeah, really insightful questions. Yeah. So let's move on to how you're going now. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've gone through this stuff and now you're in a better place. So I want to ask you a bit about that. Yeah. So what, is, what are you most proud of having accomplished so far in mm. life? Um, well, like it sounds so lame, but like, I'm just so proud of how happy I am mm. constantly. I go to bed happy. I wake up happy. You know, work gets stressful, but I'm still happy. You know, like I'm always the person that, and my friends have pointed out to me. I'm always the person who's finding a positive in every situation. And I, that was something I trained myself to do. Mm. So like everything could go to fucking shit on a campaign. You know, something really like, say for example, a couple of weeks ago when I was working on an, um, a, an election, and something really fucked up happened and I was like and everyone was like oh my god we're gonna lose everything's terrible everything's awful Mm. all because of this one moment we will never recover all of this work and I was just like oh it's okay you know but like this happens and it's all right and everyone was like how the fuck are you positive right now (laughs) oh you know you know not everything's terrible so I guess like I'm really proud of the fact that I'm I get that training that I put myself through with trying to find a positive and everything like paid off um just like in general achievements, like I just, like I guess I'm really proud of like the fact that I'm doing really well with work and I'm getting mm. a lot of opportunities. I'm getting a lot of like job offers at the moment, which is really cool, really fun. I didn't think I'd be, it'd be a position I'd be in, especially in politics. I thought I'd just be someone who'd be floating around all the time. Mm. Um, so I'm really fortunate in that way. And like, you know, like being able to just go and live in Melbourne for five weeks or go and do all these crazy things you know like the other day I just saw tickets to Melbourne and I was like yeah but I'll just book them you know like that's wild like I would have never done that with my anxiety I would have been like oh but like, it, I, like I wonder how I'd be feeling on the day like what if I'm really depressed I don't want to go to our bed while well, now I could just say on these dates I'm going to be going to Melbourne because I fucking want to hmm. and there's not going to be any obstacle because I don't have to worry about that shit anymore because hmm. that's not going to happen hmm. and I think that's really cool that I'm able to make spontaneous decisions and just be like oh yeah like and that's actually going to be realistic because I fucking kicked depression's ass. So, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to Melbourne. Mm. <laughs> um, so I guess, it, yeah, in hindsight, that's probably my biggest accomplishment. It's yeah. great. So what are you working towards at the moment? Mm. Um, <laughs> honestly, 2019 state election. <laughs> um, but personally, I, like, I'm just really happy with where I'm at and – you know, like I know everything's a road and it's not always going to be easy. And like, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to take things slower than I used to. Mm. Everything used to have to be 100 miles an hour. Well, now I'm like, oh, I'm happy with a school zone pace, you know, like. Um, so, yeah, like I guess. Mm, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I guess I'm working towards. No, you know, like a general career where I feel accomplished and, you know, I'd love to be able to have a family one day and be married and settle down and all of that boring shit. But, like, that shit just makes my heart warm. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that's, I guess, what I'm working towards. But I'm not waking up every day being like, well, I need to find myself a partner. Like, mm. I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever fucking happens, happens. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Mm. That's cool. Mm. Um. And what, what do you hope for the long-term future? Long-term, yeah, I guess. I, I, I just want to maintain this level of happiness and positivity, you know, getting up every day and being like, okay, well, like, today's a really stressful day, but 
these positives and also like the fact that I'm in a position where I can be in such cool, stressful positions to make decisions and whatever. Um, I think that's pretty awesome. You know, mm. just having, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy with the way everything's going mm. and I can't see that changing anytime soon, which is pretty cool. It's great. Mm. I'm glad you got there. Oh, fuck, same. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wanted to ask you because you mentioned this when I met you mm. for the first time that, uh, you know, you came out. Mm. as bi it's true so <laughs> what in, how did that impact your mental health after doing that well like for a while like being bi is really random right not as in like oh my god that's so random like it's really weird because you're not gay you're not straight you're not really necessarily anything else you are attracted to two genders and mm. so some days you'll be you know in a club hooking up with a woman another time you'll be hooking up with a man and especially because i've only ever been in serious relationships with men like a lot of people when i would say it to them because like i remember the first time i realized i was bi because i was like i woke up after dreaming about emma watson and i was like oh my god what the fuck <laughs> like what does this mean and then i was like oh i'll just think about it another time so mm-hmm. I, that's why i pinpoint the moment that i knew um I, again like i'm really lucky with a really supportive family um, so like it was never like I, I was like I wasn't hiding it from them on purpose. It was just something that like how the fuck do you bring that up in conversation? Like oh mum, can you pass the potatoes? By the way, I'm a you know I'm a fan of more than just men. You know I like to I just like to you know you know dip my toe in all the ponds. Um, and I just didn't know how to bring it up in conversation. So it was like one day my brother he's like the typical bogan dickhead you know i love him but he's a dickhead and he was sitting there it was during the marriage equality postal survey debate Mm. and he was making like a homophobic joke because he knew it pissed me off because i was working on the campaign and i just burst into tears and everyone was like what the fuck you know like what's going on there i ran out of the room and i just like sent it in a text to my mom being like by the way (laughs) emphasis on by um by the way i am by and my mum just came into the room. She's like, yeah, like, I know. I was like, what? What the fuck do you mean you know? She's like, Georgie, like, I'm not a fucking idiot. I was like, what, what, what the fuck do you mean? Like, what? what, what, what like, how could you have known? Mm. And she said some dumb shit like, oh, well, you started wearing overalls. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, and, like, just generally being like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, like, because my mum follows me on Twitter. She's the cool mum. And she's like, yeah, like, I just saw you, like, would – see a photo of a woman be like wow and I, and I was like oh yeah yep that's right you do follow me on twitter okay well uh this makes a lot more sense and like i'd press attending to events on facebook for like gay club events and my mom was like cool but like the thing is like she just never cared enough to bring it up with me she was just like oh like i just don't care like i just want you to be happy hmm. um and so like i told her i was like are you not like annoyed because like you've always pictured me with like men she's like no like i don't care like i like i literally just want you to be happy my dad like a typical dad style was like awkward as fuck like like my mum told him and I walked back in the room and he just like looked at me and like smirked. And I was like, you okay? And he was just like, yeah. <laughs> Cause like he doesn't, he's not against it, but he's just like one of those dads who's just kind of like never been exposed to bisexuality. It was just like, I don't know what the fuck this means, but hmm. I just want you to be happy and just do whatever achieves that. Just please don't tell me about it because not only like, it wasn't that he didn't want to think picture me with women. He doesn't want to picture me with anyone. He doesn't want to think about me being attracted to anyone. I'm just his perfect little daughter hmm. who won't touch a soul. <laughs> so yeah. So he was really funny about it. And then my brother was like really apologetic. Cause he was like, Oh fuck. Like I had no idea. Um, 
and yeah and like so he's been a lot more conscious about it which is good and then he voted yes which was nice mm. i think he mm. could be lying it was a postal survey fucking government very mm. nice <laughs> so yeah i guess it wasn't it was uh, my coming out was really easy mm. and but like i guess like being bi is somewhat a bit more normalized now but like in the queer community it's really weird because you feel awkward if you're like seen talking to a guy or hooking up with a guy or whatever because people are like oh like I thought you were queer and I'm like oh guess what I still am I'm just with a man right now um so people don't really understand bisexuality that much because they think oh it's just people who are transitioning to being a lesbian and I'm like nah <laughs> I don't think this is going to be going away <laughs> so yeah being bi is weird <laughs> okay so but did it impact your mental health being bi and I guess I was just confused but I don't, like again like I've grown up in a really easy time yeah um and you know my school's really accepting you know like I saw because I went to like a private catholic girls school but like last year instead of having muck-up week they had pride week you mm. know so like I come from a very fortunate background and I'm very lucky to be able to recognize my privilege and say look I'm really lucky to have had such a supportive community around me and like I didn't tell anyone in school god no um the only reason I came out basically was because it was about to be published in my university newspaper I was like ah fuck I better tell people before it comes out Mm. because otherwise they're gonna read it and be like oh what the fuck I didn't know that um and I just knew I'd get tagged and my mum would say and be like, why are you telling the whole fucking world before you tell your own buddy mother? Mm. <laughs> um, I would say it impacted my mental health. I, I'd say I've always been fairly comfortable with who I am. Um, the only time it ever remotely impacted is like when I told one of my first boyfriends and he was like, or like, oh, but like, how can I trust you around women? And I'm like, what? Like, just because I like more than one gender doesn't mean I'm like outrageous. Like, I'm going to cheat on you. Like, I'm still monogamous. I just... I'm attracted to more than one gender. Mm. And he was just like, oh, well, and so I started like freaking out about that. But that was probably the absolute extent of it. It's been mm. pretty, pretty easy ride. That's cool. Okay. Well, that finishes the, the main chunk of the podcast <laughs> stuff. So go to the question box. Yeah. You want to get another question from the oh, okay. mysterious golden Chinese question <sighs> This box. stresses me out because I never know what's going to fucking come. I have a terrible memory. That's the point. It's <laughs> so true. Okay. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? I'd like to say Ed Sheeran. I think Ed Sheeran's pretty famous. You met Eddie. I did. How'd I, that go? Um, he's um, lovely. His uh, hair smells fantastic. How'd that come about? Well, I, oh my God, I had this whole stage when I was in my early teens. I was seeing some of the Facebook statuses come up on like the on this dating today and I was like, oh my God, cringe where I was like one of those typical fangirl, like One Direction fangirls, um, like to the point where, yeah, it's just not good. There's a lot of thing, photos of me on the internet crying over One Direction more than I would like, mm. especially going into politics. Uh, these things happen. Um, but, yeah, and so like I was really into Ed Sheeran as well and I was front row at this like Sunrise concert and so during the ad breaks he would just like come down and chat and like we just like had really good banter and it was really easy and like it wasn't for long but like I still like met him um and I like, got this like selfie of me like ugly crying while talking to him and I was like yeah this is fine everything's fine everything's cool so I'd say he's probably the most famous person I've ever met I think yeah like besides like, like I'm mixed with like former PMs and members of parliament but no one fucking is gonna care about 
me meeting Julia Gillard. They're going to care about me meeting Ed Sheeran. <laughs> mm. it depends on the demographic. Well, uh, 100%. All my friends fucking shat themselves when they saw the photo of me and Jules. Jules. Fucking yeah. Julia Gillard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, Jules, yeah, you know, I've only met her once, but apparently we're best friends. Um, mm. Yeah, no, all my friends like shat themselves when they saw that, but they were like indifferent to be seeing Ed Sheeran while when I was younger everyone was like oh my fucking god you met Ed Sheeran what, did, what was he like how did he smell and like that's a really fucking weird question <laughs> hmm. well that's cool that's a good answer yeah alright should I go so, round two yeah we can pick up another one if you want okay what's this one what's something you want to learn but haven't had the chance well this is going to be very stereotypical but I wish I'd learn another language. Like that would be really cool to be able to go to it. Like just to like, it's more because I'm a snoop and I just want to listen in on other people's conversations. Cause as someone who's worked in retail for over two years now, I, you know, have so many languages come through my store and I'm just like, fuck, are you bitching about me? Cause I don't know. And I want to be able to know if you're bitching about me and then like, just to be able to respond in their language. Like, I think that'd be fantastic. Mm. Um, terrible reason to want to learn a language, but, um, yeah, I think that, and also like an instrument. Like I used to play an instrument, but like a really fucking lame one. Um, what was it? You probably don't even know what it is. It's called a euphonium. Yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, one of my friends plays it. I'm sorry for your friend. Adam, <laughs> he listens to this. So. Oh fuck, sorry. <laughs> I'm pr- I'm sure you're a great great person. Keep it up. Um, but yeah, I stopped playing that because I was like, I just don't want to get bullied. <laughs> also, it's so fucking heavy to carry around when I was this tiny little, you know, year six kid. And I was like, yeah, no, fuck this. So I guess I'd want to play something more elegant, like the piano, you know, something you can just sit down at a ridiculously you know, high class party and be like, oh, there's a piano here. <laughs> Let me play you a song. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I guess that's what I'd want to learn. Yeah. Cool. Good answer. On this podcast, we also like to promote feeling good. And I like to ask every guest what their ultimate feel good song is. It's hard to choose just one, but what is your ultimate feel good song at the moment? My ultimate feel good song is Perfect Places by Lord. Uh, It was on the album Melodrama and it was life changing. Like it was one of those songs that you're driving along the highway and it comes on in the car and you're like, Oh my God. Like you feel like your heart's in your throat because you're just so overwhelmingly happy because it's just all the music's playing and you can just imagine your Lord dancing around on stage singing it. And you're like, I can't be happier than I am in this moment. That's, that's the song for me. Right. Well, we're going to listen to a second of it because we don't have time to listen to the whole thing. That's right true. Now. But I encourage you guys to go check it out. It's, it's a, it, the whole album is fantastic. So play, play a second of it mm. and then we'll see what okay. we think. Okay, let's see if it works. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. So she's just a lot of fun and she's a great person and I know she's like an awesome activist as well. So I like supporting her music because I'm yeah. like, oh, she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Thanks for enlightening me with that short. I hope your life has been changed. It has. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm a new man. It's true. It's true. <laughs> right. Well, that brings us to the last question of, of the podcast. Oh, that went quick. Yeah. Um, so what's one final thing you would want people listening to take away from this? It gets better. Like you are just in the prequel of your life right now. When you're living with mental health issues, you're not re- you're like, it doesn't feel like you're really living hmm. Wait, Just, you know, you can actually get to the point where I am now where 
I like, I don't even think about it. Like I forget I have these mental health issues until I get a message from you being like, Hey, is Sunday still okay? And I'm like, Oh fuck, that's right. You know, like people get over these things and it takes time. It takes a shit ton of effort, but you'll get there and keep fighting because giving up is not worth it when you have so much more to give to this world. So much more. Mm. That's probably what I'd say, yeah. It's a good final message. I hope so. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners will get a lot out of your insight. I hope so. Yeah. And if, yeah, yeah, I'm just, if this could help anyone, that'd be the ultimate dream. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it will. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that concludes everything for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And for supporting the podcast, please like and subscribe on Facebook, SoundCloud, and the iTunes podcast app. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. you need to talk to someone about your mental health there is help available don't be afraid to open up to your family or friends if you're in australia you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 they offer free 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention for those of you overseas i encourage you to find out what services are available to you